and welcome to another episode of the Rainmakers Fantasy Golf Show presented by DraftKings Rainmakers. And boy, do we have a show for you all today. It feels like what is going to be our biggest show, an incredible Canadian Open. Nick Taylor snaps a 69-year drought for the country of Canada to win the National Open. Felt like Anything but just another PGA Tour event. We're going to get into all the details. And then, of course, the U.S. Open is here. Los Angeles Country Club looks to be an absolutely insane, insane venue to host a U.S. Open. Going to be unlike most other U.S. Opens that we've had in the recent past. Going to be an awesome, awesome tournament in terms of DraftKings. So many things happening over there. And then generally just going to be an awesome round and weekend of golf. Always centered around Father's Day. The U.S. Open is, is certainly a 1B in my opinion, to Augusta. It's my second favorite year, uh, second favorite week of the year. So many things to talk about, but it would be remiss if we didn't capture and cover the Canadian Open that just happened this past weekend. RBC has got two epic back-to-back Canadian Opens, and frankly, Live Golf has kind of been in the center of it, but you know, last uh, last time it was played there with Rory winning uh, every all the news about Live. This past week, there was so much news about the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, getting into a merger conversation or a deal to be had with the Saudi PIF. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of that, but yeah, the Canadian Open, it seemed to be at the beginning of the week that it was going to get outshined by the PGA Tour and all these conversations about live, but Nick Taylor on Sunday was here to make sure that did not happen. An absurd, absurd finish. What went from a very boring kind of playoff where no one wanted to win it to an absolutely electric ending with Nick Taylor sinking a a career-long 72-foot eagle putt on the third time that they had played hole 18 to win it. And I mean, the scenes around the green, just absolutely fantastic. We're going to get into all the details, but always, as always, I'm joined with me by TJ. TJ, how was your weekend? What did you think about the Canadian open? Yeah, absolutely. Epic finish there. Top it off with a Canadian win. Uh, Adam Hadwin getting tackled afterwards during the celebration not sure i'm sure some people saw that i think i saw people talking about it in discord but saw that floating around on twitter yeah really really fun tournament and and just like you said a ton going on in the world of golf i was actually on vacation from wednesday to sunday this week so i I got back home just in time to catch the last two holes and the playoff which uh was was good timing indeed but excited to to chop it up with all of you and amidst all of this like we said we got the, the Next major coming up, the U.S. Open. Lots to unpack. So uh, Coop and I are actually going to, we're going to do two shows this week. So we're going to have a second show where we're going to talk kind of more general golf. We're going to talk about the PGA Tour live merger that is impending. We're going to talk about the Blitz Fantasy Golf Contest that we have that's live now for the U.S. Open. So we're going to do a, a separate show and also post that to the OTM podcast feed just so that we can get some Rainmakers focus in here. But uh, yeah, exciting time to be a golf fan. And we, we keep saying every week, I feel like we're like, oh, this is really the, the heat of the season. There's a lot going on. And it's getting even hotter than we could have possibly imagined. And uh, it's also cool to see golf reaching like 
mainstream headlines, which, uh, you know, I mean, like we're literally in the middle of the NBA finals and the Stanley Cup finals. And I feel like more broadly, golf is is the number one topic in the sports world. So uh, that which doesn't happen very often, or at least in my sports world, as far as I see it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, golf has gone absolutely nuclear in the last week. Things are honestly seemingly getting more and more bizarre as the days go by. I tweeted a couple of times this weekend that I don't know the next time that I'll watch golf and not think about Jimmy Dunn. I, as a golf fan, had heard of Jimmy Dunn's name before, but never in a way like he is so seemingly present now after two kind of insane interviews. So yeah, TJ said it best. There's honestly so much to cover that we're going to give all of our thoughts, our takes on golf, golf as a game, golf continuing to grow. The game is growing. There are tons of ways to get involved and watch the game. Fantasy options are going to continue to emerge. I'm excited for all things Blitz Fantasy Golf. So yeah, stay tuned this week for another show. TJ and I just giving all of our thoughts about golf fantasy golf, the future of golf, and uh, what is going to come of the PGA Tour merging with the DP World Tour and the Saudi PIF uh, and all the things that are going to happen there. So going to be a fun show. Excited for Pick'em and Blitz Fantasy Golf as well. The U.S. Open is, like I said, my second favorite week. So an awesome tournament. We want to get that in the hands of everybody that's listening to this show. So stay tuned for more details on that show. But yeah, let's get back to Canadian Open. So the 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 thing about this week, you know, most of the week after the tournament started was the course was playing challenging. It seemed like there were guys that were able to go low, but if you weren't if you weren't finding the fairway, if you were finding the rough which was pretty thick, if you weren't rolling putts in, you know, you you could make some some bigger numbers. You know, it, we end up getting to minus 17 to get in the playoff, but Nick Taylor starts out on Thursday with a 75 and then just absolutely blitzes the field after shooting a 67 on, on Friday to make the cut blitzes the field on the weekend, shoots 63, 66 to get into a playoff. Um, and, and frankly needed to birdie 17 and 18 in order to get into this playoff. It seemed like there were at least a couple of guys behind him that had shot. The biggest one obviously was Tommy Fleetwood and, you know, Fleetwood is standing on 18T, tied for the lead. The 18th was clearly the easiest hole on the golf course. I think it played somewhere around like just above four strokes uh, to, to bar, like a 4.1 strokes, 4.2 strokes or something like that on average. So clearly a very gettable par five. And he just makes an absolutely absurd mistake with his second shot. He hit. He hits uh he hits iron off the tee, which he had done several times. So I don't think that was too big of an issue. But his second shot was just an absolutely poor, poor layup. Misses in the right hand rough, has a crazy, you know, chip to even just find the surface. Ends up fu- going over the pin. Uh, has some sort of like fifty footer. Definitely not a makeable putt. Rolls it down there pretty well, and he rolled the ball really well all week. I think he was first in strokes game putty putting was Tommy. Um, didn't have a chance to make that putt. Gets into the playoff, and then we kind of got into this golf where no one really wanted to you know, seemingly win. Of course they both wanted to win, but it wasn't like they were, you know, hitting firm putts and Tommy had probably the best chances to win and the first three playoff holes. Uh, and then even on the fourth playoff hole, 
uh, you know, Nick Taylor is sitting there with a 72 footer for Eagle. Tommy has another 12 to 15 footer from about the exact same spot that he missed from previously. And you got to think if you're Nick Taylor and he even said it in his interview, you know, he thinks Tommy's going to roll this in. So he was looking to kind of just cozy this ball as close to the hole as possible get away with his birdie and then see what happens with Tommy. And before you know it, he hits this putt that just seemingly continues to track over and over and over the green to the hole goes in and just absolute mayhem from there. Uh, TJ mentioned it. Adam Hadwin and all of the Canadian players were basically on the 18th green Hadwin. Mackenzie Hughes, Mike Weir, Corey Connors. And then what the interesting thing was you also had, Lowry and Terrell Hatton Hatton had just finished. He finished uh, minus 16 for tied for third place. They were kind of waiting, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's looking for his first PGA tour win, uh, had put himself in a winning position multiple times previous to this has probably a great, you know, as best of chances, he's going to get to win with multiple putts to, to win here on the first couple of playoff holes, isn't able to get it done. And then yeah, Taylor's putt drops to win just an absolute absurd scene on the greens. Adam Hadwin gets tackled <laughs> by the security guards. I mean, it looked anything but a PGA tour event. And to me, I think that was really cool for a, uh, a national open to feel like that for golf Canada to get their guys to represent, uh, you know, everyone played pretty well. All the Canadians played pretty well in the event and for Taylor to win it just a absolute historic, historic day, uh, in golf. And yeah, it was a non-elevated event. It was, I think Nick Taylor wins like 1.5 or $1.6 million to first. It wasn't your three or $4 million to first, but frankly, I don't think any golf fan was thinking about that when that putt went in. If you were watching that playoff, you were pretty captivated by all the other things that were going on. And yeah, the game of golf is uh, pretty awesome. So that was, you know, my takeaways from just the absolute scene that was the 18th green there uh, when Nick Taylor drains that putt. Yeah, very much Ryder Cup vibes, I would say, where you've got the other Canadian golfers that hung around to watch. I feel like that pretty much never happens. Like not a lot of guys are are finishing up their rounds and then hanging around the 18th green waiting for the other golfers to finish up. They typically just kind of head on their way if, if they're already in the clubhouse and out of the tournament. So thought that that was a, a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, like we said, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the live takes and stuff like that. But one of the you know, it's like I know Liv has tried to do the team golf thing, which most people are pretty mad towards, myself included. But it's like, man, when when you see like endings like that, you're like, if there is some way that you could actually create like a team golf vibe similar to the Ryder Cup, where like the players actually care about the results of other players, it, it did add an extra layer of excitement that that you don't see every tournament so that, that kind of had my brain thinking there but yeah congratulations to to nick taylor and quite the battle from tommy fleetwood as well his i, I liked his smile as the putt went in he just kind of looked at his caddy and was like well what, what are you gonna do i mean if he's gonna make that then it just is what it is so i think it was the perfect ending to a, a battle of a playoff and you, you always like to see it end because one of the guys won it versus like one guy just kind of choking it away and for a while, it was looking like it was destined for one of them to choke it away with how difficult they were making it on themselves. But uh, some good golf down the stretch and a 72-foot putt. Pretty impressive.
Yeah, I, I well said about loving to see someone kind of take it and not uh not a mistake happen because that's exactly what it felt like. It was it was three holes where and honestly Fleetwood to me the way he had putted all week, it just felt like, especially on the ninth, the par three ninth, they both hit shots that kind of spin back and they're both Taylor kind of more in the fringe with a lot more fringe to contest with than Fleetwood. Taylor hits is up there. It's literally right in the heart. It just doesn't have enough speed to get to the hole. So he leaves it, you know, two, three, two, three inches. I don't know, maybe a little longer than that, but less than a foot short. And then you just kind of have this feeling that and everyone there, I mean, the crowd was 99% Nick Taylor, obviously being in Canada, 1% Tommy Fleetwood. It might've been like Fleetwood, his caddy and, you know, Hatton and Lowry, the only guys rooting for Fleetwood. And he has, you know, 12 feet. He's on the fringe, but he has 12 feet. You just feel like if you're not going to make that putt, especially in this scenario, it's going to be really hard to win. And that's when it felt like someone was going to make a big mistake and someone was kind of just going to limp off with this victory uh, until that third time they play 18th absolutely flipped around. Uh, just, just an incredible finish. Uh, so much drama. And it's, it is awesome in my opinion in, in professional golf, how often we get playoffs and I, it, there's nothing like, playoffs after 72 holes. I saw, I heard this on uh Sirius XM radio, but like, it's a completely different beast to go from playing stroke play tournament style golf, where you're in your own element to sitting there in the playoff playing basically match play golf. It is so, so different. Um, so it's interesting to hear the mental, like, things that golfers go through and people that have been uh, in that position in the past. It was interesting to hear that, but it was awesome to see Nick Taylor just, just emerge and take that, uh, that victory. So cool for the country of Canada. So cool for him. Uh, 72 feet, as we've said multiple times, his longest putt of his PGA tour career to win. What will be a decorated celebrated um, event in Canada for a long time. Heard this morning, he will likely be, uh, Canada's athlete of the year. It will be as if, you know, when it was, it was referenced when Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal in the Olympics for Canada hot for, for United States or for Canada versus us hockey. It was, it was referenced among those type events for Canadian history. So cool to see that happen. And, and absolutely history being made a couple notables um, from the rest of the field. Tyrrell Hatton played awesome birdies. I think four in a row to finish uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, birdies them all to finish and to get into the house at 16 prior to Hatton finishing Aaron Rye had got to 16 and uh, uh before that Eric Cole was actually in the in the house at minus 14 all guys uh we've mentioned on this show I wrote up Mark Hubbard uh last week as a play that I liked in the mid-tier Hubbard I mean if he makes any putts on Sunday I think he has a real shot at winning this tournament he uh he 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 shoots a 66 but I think that 66 could have been or sorry he shoots a 70 on uh on Sunday I think that 70 could have been 
uh, a 66, 67. Uh, I think he had so many chances, so many putts left right in the middle of the heart. Played absolutely awesome golf all week. Justin Rose was up there. Rory plays great golf. Uh, he finished minus 12, finished inside the top 10, uh, T9. Adam Hadwin, uh, notable that Hadwin was on the green. He's trying to spray champagne everywhere. Gets tackled by security. It went viral. Uh, JT, I think, had a tweet or an Instagram about it. Several other golfers had a tweet or an Instagram about it. Nobody more other than uh, nobody dunked on Hadwin more than his own wife, who had an awesome tweet and said, uh, like every other Canadian, Adam Hadwin actually apologized to the security guard for being tackled. Sorry. Uh, sorry. So, yeah, pretty funny to see that happen. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my notables from, uh, this week in terms of other golfers in the field, anything else that stuck out to you and performances, uh, near the top that you'd like to see TJ. Definitely stands out that Rory in the mix again, come Sunday still hasn't quite got it done, but, uh, you know, it, it, in some ways I feel like the, like my general instinct is like, ah, Rory, Rory's been struggling lately but his last finishes were ninth seventh and seventh so uh you know s similar to how we talk about scheffler and rom in some ways it's like rory is quote unquote struggling but still has three top tens in his last three tournaments so definitely someone to keep an eye on heading into the u.s open this week and uh yeah cory connor's another canadian that was in the mix but did not have a very good sunday so kind of fell back to like 20th or something in that range and overall Good, 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 fun tournament. Really fun, non-elevated event as well. Uh, this was kind of like the perfect field where we didn't have that, you know, one-off Scheffler or Rom or even like a Victor Hovland at the top. We had we had Rory, but uh, it's it, it was a good good mix, and it's fun to see different people in the competition on on Sunday and. Uh, We'll probably see a complete, aside from Rory, we'll probably see a completely different group of names at the top of the leaderboard heading into to this weekend in the U.S. Open. How did how did Rainmakers go for the RBC? I actually did not get to play this week because, like I said, I was traveling and, and out of the country, but uh, so I, I did not really get a pulse for the Rainmakers contest for the week. Yeah, I, Rainmakers, some really fun contests. My uh, best finish was in the Discord contest. So sh shout out the Rainmakers team for creating the Discord content contest. I really think that's a way to engage uh, the people that are you know most into Rainmakers. Yep. So there's there was a group three and group four golfer Discord contest uh, only. So you could play any golfer in group three or group four, and uh, it was it was interesting to see how high ownership got in that contest. You know, Nick Taylor, 24% owned in that contest. Aaron Rye, 24% owned. Mark Hubbard, 19% owned. It was a core contest, so you only needed, you know, you could use five core cards. Um, but people were pretty sharp at the top of the odds board. Uh, I, I got a little bit different uh, with what I thought was different uh, was Carson Young. So wrote up Carson Young. He ended up being 10% owned, uh, played pretty well. Um, so I had Hubbard, Rye, Taylor, Carson Young, and then the guy that kind of killed my lineup was, was Lipsky, Lipsky plus three, plus three to miss the cut. Um, but I, I really liked that contest shout out to, uh, E crawl 21, taking it down, had Nick Taylor captain. Like I said, he was 24% owned, but eight 
8.7% owned as captain. Uh, so pretty big percent ownership is as captain. He also had Eric Cole, which I know Jesse over there in the DraftKings discord, liked a lot of, a lot of sharp people liked Eric Cole played really well. He was 21% owned. Will Gordon, 18% CT pan, uh, CT plant pan played great golf kind of out of nowhere. Um, so it was nice to see CT play well. He was 9% owned and then Brandon Wu, uh, Brandon Wu looks like was the highest that I can see, uh, in this contest right now. He was 29% owned. So pretty, uh, pretty high ownership there, but I like, I like the idea of getting those group four golfer group three, group four golfers. The other thing is all those guys, a lot of those guys finished pretty near the top of the board. So, uh, sometimes I think we, instantly rush to discount group three group four golfers but remember that when DraftKings established the groups they did it off of finishing in the 2022 um the 2022 fedex cup standings so just because someone didn't you know grade out that well in terms of the standings last year doesn't mean they haven't been playing great golf this year eric cole is probably a, a good good guy to reference there i don't even think you know he was unknown, I would say, until this year where he's been getting a ton more starts and playing fantastic golf. Uh, guys like Nick Taylor and Hubbard have certainly been around, but definitely seemingly playing uh, at a different echelon than they've played in the past. So uh, I think you can always find uh, a group three or, or group four golfer that fits a course really well or has some solid history at certain places. So uh, I wouldn't be so quick to always discredit uh, some of the group three and group four guys. And then in terms of the elite contest, that was the other one I was following pretty closely. Shout out X Durka that looked like they're, they had multiple lineups in the event they they take it down 598.5 points so a lot of points had tommy fleetwood captain 2.6 percent owned in the elite contest hatton hubbard rory rory was 20 percent owned how's the highest percentage owned that i saw and then nick taylor comes in at nine percent owned uh in the winning lineup so pretty awesome lineup uh, obviously had Taylor and Fleetwood. And when you get two guys in a playoff in your lineup, gonna, gonna end up being, uh, a pretty good lineup, beat the field, uh, beat second place by 20 and a half points. So uh, a really, really nice lineup for Exterka. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, a fun week of Rainmakers contest. I do really, I mentioned this on, on the show on Wednesday. I do really like, uh, the way DraftKings has changed the pricing and the payouts for the non-deluxe weeks. So this was a premium week, 270K, uh, 275K, but they flattened the payouts pretty nicely. So I think you get a, you still get a really solid sweat for get, trying to get your, your money back. Uh, unfortunately for me, had Adam Svensson, who the one Canadian that uh, didn't fare as well. He missed the cut in my lineup. So I didn't really have, uh, have much of a sweat this past week. But onwards to uh, to the U.S. Open where we have Another uh, deluxe event, 350K. There's a ton of DraftKings Rainmaker stuff happening. I'm honestly still playing catch up. I've had a little bit of a crazy 48 hours, but there's craft rare crafting available. There is some bonuses for marketplace spend. The U.S. Open snapshot uh, uh, cutoff is, I believe, today uh, for the leaderboard for the U.S. Open for holding you know, cards uh, of different uh, values and tiers uh, and sets. So you know, take a look at what, where your position is on that U.S. Open leaderboard. We'll get into some more of the details there. But yeah, let's. Uh, anything else you have uh, to finalize? the Canadian open teach, or are we good to uh, jump right into what will be an epic, epic venue, Los Angeles country club for the U S open. Yeah, let's jump into it. Cool. 
All right. So first thing I'll call out, you know, all the data that we're looking at is from our site. Head on over to otmnft.com slash Rainmakers Pro. Uh, I love to use the players page. Shows you every player, their low ass across every tier, alongside their odds to win. Uh, top of the board, no surprise, Scotty Scheffler and John Rom. This is probably the biggest split. Uh, that we've seen between Scheffler and Rom. Scheffler going off at plus 700, Rom at plus 1,000. And that's the top tier. Under that, we get into plus 1,400 with Cantlay and Rory. And then under Cantlay and Rory, we got Scheffler or Shoffley and Hovland at plus 1,800. So uh, top of the board is stacked as you would expect for the third major of the year. The venue, Los Angeles Country Club hasn't hosted a U.S. Open before. Uh, actually, funny, you know, Rory was asked, uh, has he seen or been on Los Angeles Country Club? And he said no. <laughs> he watched some YouTube videos and uh, some other stuff like that, but hasn't seen the course. I think we'll have a good number of players who haven't seen much of this course, a very different style U.S. Open course, pretty big fairways. But if you miss fairways here, you're going to be punished. There's Barranca. The rough was, I think, you know, to be initially my read on it was that the rough wasn't going to be classic U.S. Open rough and going to be insane. But it seems like they're growing it up. And from what I've seen, the uh, the classic uh, drop the ball in the rough on Monday at the U.S. Open venue and take a video of it and put it on social media. It, it's pretty gnarly. So you don't want to miss these fairways, but it's going to be a really, really big second shot golf course. There's also going to be some gettable holes. A lot of times at the U.S. Open, there are no easy holes. There are no birdie holes. But this course has some gettable holes and then it has some really, really hard holes where you're going to absolutely love par. It's going to play well over par. Um, and if you're able to escape with par, you're going to be you're going to be thrilled or ecstatic uh, by that. It's a par 70, almost 7,500 yards, depending on where they put the T uh, the T's there's a 250 plus yard par three that guys are going to likely be hacking three woods at potentially, or trying to figure out other ways to navigate. There's a couple drivable par fours, just going to be ecstatic theater uh, all week long from the U S open as always, but it's not going to be your classic bomb and gouge that, you know, the likes of Wingfoot and Torrey pines and other U S open venues can be set up like where, uh, you know, you can get bombers that just can get it up there as far as possible, take some sort of wedge and use wedge from the rough, even if they're in the rough and, and get away with it. I think it's going to be very, very different setup where this course demands, different decisions at every point in time throughout the golf hole from the tee box all the way to the green and the undulations that the greens offer. So it's going to be an awesome venue for uh, the 123rd U S open. Should be a great one looking, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, as always, we've got all the who's who's in there. Coop walked through the, the top of the board and, you know, typically when we approach these majors, a, because all of the top players are in it, and B, because of the difficulty of the course, we do tend to see the, the the top players rise to the top of the leaderboard. So definitely something to be keeping in mind as we put together our Rainmakers lineups. That said, outside of that very top of the board, the kind of like, what, six or so guys that, that you referenced, I feel like there's a grouping of 20 guys after that where you know it's hard to definitively say that i don't know 
Matthew Fitzpatrick is definitely a better play than who knows Adam Scott, right? Like there's just a whole, a whole cast of characters that, that can perform here. So I think it's going to be a really fun rainmakers in particular week here. And uh, you know, obviously also when we have these majors, we have all of the, the live guys over here. So it uh, sweating, like I remember this from the PGA championship, sweating the, like actual tournament leaderboard versus sweating the rainmakers leaderboard. It's, it's quite unique when not all of the players that might be at the top of the leaderboard are available in, in the fantasy game. So uh, yeah, look, looking forward to it and pumped to, to talk through some of the players in terms of like general mold of golfer that we're looking for here. Yeah. Let, you're just going to need everything, right? Yeah. Like, let, let's, Let's break it down by tier. I actually, I actually love oh, kind of like thinking. I, I think you, 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 you teed it up really nicely. I think, and, and honestly, in my opinion, you let's let's take DraftKings Rainmakers out of it for a second. In my opinion, you pick one of Rom or Scheffler, and then after that, you're kind of filling in a couple of guys that aren't Rom or Scheffler. Now, if you don't have Scheffler or Rom in your portfolio, I'm not saying you need to go out and get them. I think they are still really good buys based on the way that those guys have played. I mean, if you are looking to get the best bang for your buck in Rainmakers right now, John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler are it. They are as foolproof as a golfer comes. Um, I, I think either of these guys, if either one of them won, no one would be shocked. Not a single soul in the entire golf world would be shocked. I look at Rom and, and Scheffler, and I just think they're a tier, at least a tier better than even Cantlay and Rory. And then, you know, in terms of betting odds, that there's another tier below them. So I, I think they're just head and shoulders above everybody. The question that we've talked about on this show multiple times is will Scotty's putter show up? Because you can look at every statistical category and you would simply keep coming up with the name Scotty Scheffler, except for putting. And then you also got to mix in the fact that it's a major championship. Is Scotty and Rom the same in terms of like experience level, how they feel about majors. Does it matter to them? Like it, it is, it's a, it's a mental side of the game as well. I like to think of it that way. I think they are, you know, more similar than dissimilar, but I still seemingly maybe incorrectly. I still give the mental edge to Rom over Scheffler just for the fact that he's been in these spots a little more than Scotty has not saying Scotty hasn't been. Uh, but I, I think in major championship golf, I tend to lean Rom more than Scotty, although I have no Rom in my portfolio. So maybe I'm just praying for Scotty this week. I don't know. Give us a take TJ between Scotty and Rom and how you're looking at those guys. Uh, always, always so, so difficult. My, my general lean is, is always towards Rom kind of for the same reasons that, that you just mentioned all the, you know, quote unquote intangibles, if you will, and the experience factor and just the, the mental toughness of when Rom is in a final group on Sunday, I just don't see anyone beating him. Uh, whereas Scotty has had these issues with the putter and missing two, three footers on a Sunday when he's has a chance to to win a tournament with that said i mean i'm I'm looking at the stats right now over the last 50 rounds in this field scotty scheffler is literally ranked number one in every single stat except for putting where he's ranked 95th which is 25th from the bottom in this field so it's just absolutely 
crazy to me that that somebody can be putting this poorly and I just don't it does, just doesn't seem possible to continue. So I am going to go with Scotty over my guy Rom this week uh just cuz when you're striking the ball that well and also like at these more difficult courses it is going to be more about the overall golf game and not necessarily come all down to the putter because the strokes that you can gain off the tee can just become a lot more valuable when there's not maybe not as many birdies to be had out there and you know it's more about getting up and down and being able to chip it to a gimme versus having to make the 8 to you know 15 foot putts so you can't go wrong picking either of them. I am leaning Scotty personally for for this week, and um, I don't know if this you were necessarily alluding this to this, but I, I do like the idea of if you had like just picking one of them in a lineup as opposed to putting them together simply for the the differentiation factor. I think when you you know when you look across the Rainmakers player pool of people playing the game. There's going to be a lot of people that if they have both a Scheffler and a Rom, their instinct is is to make that one super lineup and put them together. And then you're now just playing a 3v3 against a bunch of other people. So I, I do think it's a pretty smart game theory kind of move to, to separate them and, and pick one or the other and then fill the other four golfers around them. You know, obviously, if you're trying to build like the optimal best possible lineup and not thinking about ownership and game theory then you know that would be the best odds lineup but i think it's better to to diversify in this case and get different from the field yeah i i actually wouldn't think that way uh but i think there's a really good call especially in this field there are a ton of options and you you know great transition here rightfully so named 20 guys, you know, I count one, two, three, four. I, I count, I count 25 guys. Actually, I count all the way down to like Adam Scott, Sahith Tagala, Russell Henley, my guy, Russell Henley. I mean, the middle tier is really strong in, in this event. And I think us opens unlike, unlike Augusta, unlike even the PGA championship, the U S open is such a mental test that, you need to just make pars and these guys know how to make pars. If you just eliminate the big numbers, the big mistakes, the misses you absolutely can't have. I think you usually will fare well in a U.S. open and the leaderboard sort of will evolve. If you just play your game, the leaderboard will evolve. And I think this is why Brooks Kepka has been so good not only at PGA championships, but at us opens as well, where he just goes out and plays his game, eliminates the big mistakes, knocks in the occasional birdie and the leaderboard evolves. And here we are Saturday night and Brooks is within four of the lead or you know, has the lead or within a shot of the lead or playing in the final group. He just plays his game. And I think there's a lot of guys in the middle tier that certainly could get into that feel or realm or mental spot where I'm just going to go out and make pars 
and I'm going to like see how the golf uh, see how the golf uh, course evolves, see how the tournament evolves, and see where where I sit. You know, I I I looked at the odds board and simply looking at the odds board, ignoring DraftKings Rainmakers pricing. And shout out Andy, Andy Lack. I, I love listening to him and his golf course sort of archetypes. And he looks into all of the different, you know, history of golf in, in, at these different events. Justin Thomas at 50 to one is an insane number on Justin Thomas. Yes, he's playing really poorly, but like in the betting market to, to think about getting JT at a US Open at a second shot golf course where you're going to need to use your short game, where you won't have to just hit it as far as everybody. I, that's just an insane number to me. Uh, so I, I look at JT in the middle of that pack. Uh, I mean, you could certainly make a case for JT to win the US Open. Now it would be, a little bit uncharacteristic based on his recent form. It's not great, but I think there's certainly the ability for JT to wake up, be in a major championship, and then just realize, oh, I have the pedigree to go out there and beat everybody. I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Even lower than JT, um, you know, Adam Scott. I talked about Adam Scott playing fantastic golf. And then a little bit above JT, who I'm happy to go back to the well on, even after an emotional week, is, uh, is Tommy Fleetwood. I, Tommy Fleetwood is playing... The best golf of his career, I think, I, is is fair to say right now. Hitting it pure, putting better than just about everybody in Canada did putt better than everybody, and I, I think at, at plus four thousand, uh, at thirty six dollars for a rare card in Rainmakers. I mean, Fleetwood to me is a solid value in the middle tier here for uh, for for what we're looking to get done. I don't think uh, I, I don't think the emotional roller coaster that was Canada is going to keep Tommy from playing really well at the U.S. Open. He handled the loss with class. Had a great tweet shouting out the Canadian people. So I, I mean, Tommy's a guy I root for. We both root for. I'd love to see him get his first victory. So I, I think he's uh, as good as anybody in this middle tier right now in terms of his golf game. Who do you like uh, in the middle tier, and where where do your eyes go right away? Yeah, I definitely like one of the things that surprised me most was was Justin Thomas, as you, as you already said, just not a name that we are used to seeing down there. But if you took away the names and you're just looking at the stats, he wouldn't pop, right? So I think there's just a, a, a little bit of getting used to the fact that this is just kind of where JT is right now. That doesn't mean that he can't just one weekend, you know, get, get it all back. And, you know, we're used to him being a top five, top 10 golfer in the world. So that definitely stands out um, from a pricing standpoint. Lowry stood out to me as just someone that was, a little bit on the on the cheaper side and somebody that I tend to look towards in more of the majors from a lower pricing standpoint. Terrell Hatton continues to just play incredible golf, has been in great recent form from a Rainmaker's pricing point of view. He's a little bit more expensive than than I would have liked. Um, I feel like Colin Morikawa is a is one where he's gonna be overlooked this week just just because he hasn't been performing super well but we've also seen Mark Howe be able to to pop up in some of these more difficult tournaments where the ball striking does prevail so had had my eye on him a bit and then going further down Adam Scott as you mentioned I I definitely like him in this event Wyndham Clark is another cheaper guy that that caught my eye too so the, the, that's kind of the realm that I'm looking at. But uh, 
yeah, it, it's like, I mean, I'm checking out them on the, the OTM website, Rainmakers Pro, in the player section. And any of this top 30 that that shows up on the, you know, so basically anyone that's 100 to 1 or better, like, I'm not saying they can all win, but I do think that there's some some good differentiation to be had outside of the the top three to five golfers. So, and uh, I couldn't decide on Tony Fee now because my first instinct was that I like him, but then I'm just like, I don't know, T- Tony in these majors. I don't I don't know if I'm ready for it yet. So my initial lean was to be on Tony, but uh, I think he's going to be more in the fade category for me at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think this is where this is a spot where Rainmakers differentiates itself from traditional DFS golf. I'm in on Tony because I have Tony in my portfolio. I, I have him too. So I'm to gonna have to him. like I'm gonna play him. So, obviously, yeah, but we're I'm gonna not play him like and be in on pumped. I'm not like thrilled. I'm not like oh, I've got Scheffler or Rom, but I think. Tony Finau, the coolest thing, in my opinion, a little bit different than DFS where you're making that decision every week. You get that vested interest in that player's sort of longevity, and you can talk yourself into a lot of things in professional golf and especially at majors and to be there to say, hey, you know what? Tony Tony did win in a major, and I I, I was on him, I think is a a fun thing to think about. I want to ask you one thing because I think you brought up somebody who I'm never on and when I am on him or when I've been on him in the past, I constantly get him wrong. But I looked at uh, Tyrrell Hatton and Tyrrell Hatton's strokes gain total in the last six events, 14.12, 7.18, 8.78, 10.64, 12.49, and 6.68. I mean, <laughs> in this new world of golf where Scotty is out there gaining 20 strokes total, like this is insane golf to be, to, to have three of your six three of your last six to gain 10 plus strokes total and then be in the Canadian open, the Memorial, the PGA championship, the Wells Fargo, the RBC heritage that they're in really, really strong fields. Hatton is a guy that I'm just never on. So what do you think about Hatton, his antics and like how mad he can get at the golf course? And does that matter at the U S open? Is it, is it a stick, a shtick, if you will, or is it real? Like what's your take there in terms of how Hatton is, what his demeanor is like, does that really mean anything? And I mean, if that was ever going to mean anything, I would think it would mean something at the U S open, but maybe, maybe I'm just overthinking it. Yeah. I think it's just how he reacts and. I don't think it like impacts his next shot. Like, you know, I think if he hits one, he hits a shot that he doesn't like, he pisses and moans for 30 seconds and then he forgets. And then, then like he's on to the next shot. Right. So I think it's just kind of how he maybe expresses and gets out his frustration. But I mean, with these kinds of results, it's just, it's not possible that that is negatively impacting him because the, the results have been too consistent for too long now. And he's had antics all, all throughout them. Right. So, uh, Hey, I mean, in a way on the other side of it, you could look at it as well at the U S open. I do want the guy that's going to hold himself to a impossible standard because that's what it's going to require in order to compete at this tournament against this field. So I, I find the antics to be a little bit fun and I, I, I think they're real. So I don't think it's necessarily quote a, a shtick. Like, I don't think he's doing it on purpose to create entertainment. I think that's just what he's like. Actually, a, a decent, I just thought of this comparison in my head, but it's almost like a like Phil Hellmuth at the poker table kind of thing, where it's like Phil Hellmuth is always bitching and moaning at the poker table, but like that's not going to 
affect how he's playing the game, right? That's just kind of like who he is, how he expresses emotions, wear your heart on your sleeve kind of guy. And while I think for the average person that can create a distraction of yourself and is going to lead to more poor performance when you're at the literal top of, of what you do. Um, if you're able to, to get to that point while doing all of those things, I think that that us as outsiders can't read too much into it. And yeah, I mean, I just, uh, all, all I need to see is that he's third in strokes gain total in this field over the past 50 rounds. He's top, 20 in every category except around the greens where he's 35th which isn't even bad he's putting really well and has the results to to show for it so i also hold hold some uh some hat and rainmakers cards so that helps because i i am following him closely every week because i i have him in my lineups but uh i'm i'm in on him and i uh i'd love to watch him just complain his way to a u.s open victory i think that would be quite entertaining that would be how you would describe it. I think honestly, like if Tiro Hatton wins this tournament, there is going to be like five highlights where he absolutely hates whatever happened. And it's going to turn into like comedy almost, but he seemingly gets his golf ball in the hole, no matter how it happens. I saw a great tweet. Uh, Hatton had a, a pretty poor 18th hole at RBC Canadian open. And he has probably 12, 15 feet or something like that for birdie. And as soon as he hits the putt, he's pointing. Like, no, it's supposed to go this way. And then he, the putt's going through the hole. It like sneaks in the back door and he turns his point into a fist pump <laughs> as if he like knew that that was going to happen. So I, I saw a very good tweet that was like complaining after you hit a putt to turning that complaint into a fist pump is iconic uh, in terms of the world of, of Tiro Hatton. So yeah, I just, I, that, that definitely comes into my mind, but then you look at the numbers, like you, you rattled off uh, not many people playing better golf than, than Tiro Hatton right now and primed to win uh, on a golf course like Los Angeles country club, where it's not a, you know, a driving gouge fest where you're going to have to hit every shot in the bag where you're going to need to roll in putts. Uh, you know, I think these tournaments where it challenges, challenges golfers throughout the bag, which this, this tournament and this golf course will Hatton, in my opinion, uh, cream rises to the top there. Uh, these middle guys that don't really have you know, one downfall, I think really shape up as being some of the better options in terms of, uh, in terms of plays this week, whether you're betting them in the betting market, whether you're playing them in rainmakers, a uh, lot, a lot of different ways to talk yourself onto or off of guys. Uh, all right. Well, I, I think we always tend to say this in majors, uh, that, you know, it's popular to say 12 guys can win at Augusta, 12 guys can win a PGA championship. I, I personally think that all the way down to plus 9,000, 10,000 are, are live. There's enough win equity there uh, in these 25, 30 golfers that we talked about. Anybody you like beyond that, and not not just win equity, but guys that you think are playing well and uh, either shape up well at this course or you just like their recent form, anybody beyond the, the plus 10,000 mark and, and you're getting into, you know, show me 100 on otmnfu.com, that player's view. Uh, anybody you like deep, deep down in the uh, the odds bucket. You mentioned him earlier on the show, but Eric Cole continues to to play well this year, both from a results standpoint and also from the the underlying stats. Really, he, he's not great off the tee, but is able to to perform elsewhere. And, and and as you said, it does seem like this is 
a bit of an exception when it comes to the U.S. Open in terms of not needing to be an absolute bomber off the tee. So Eric Cole, way down the odds board, I think he's like 180 to 1, is somebody that I'm looking at. Uh, God, Gary Woodland, kind of? Kind of? I I, I don't know. I, I always have trouble touting Gary Woodland, and he's really not been good on or around the greens, but he's he's striking the ball well. And, you know, you go back five, ten years, Gary Woodland has has had plenty of major experience, which I, I do think matters at U.S. Opens. So Gary Woodland, somebody that that piqued my interest, even if only slightly. And uh, yeah, that that's kind of uh, Hadwin, maybe, you know, recovers from the the, the the tackle comes out, performs well in the U.S. Open. Hell don't of a he, story. Would be a hell he, of a story. Don't think he can win, but uh, and, and his recent form is, is not very good. But like also, as you get further and further down the board, he's one of the more balanced guys there. So but th- those are a couple ones. Let me see. I'll do one more pass through. Chris Kirk, always someone that's a cheaper guy that that I have some level of interest in Siwoo Kim. I'll, I'll throw Siwoo Kim out there as as my final one. So, yeah. I mean, this, you, you this, is, a Siwoo. this is the Siwoo Kim it show. Is. This is, is a Siwoo Kim, Siwoo Kim crowd. We love Siwoo Kim. Two guys on my list. One guy who heartbreaking fashion uh, at the Memorial, uh, Denny McCarthy, just putts really, 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 really well and really consistently. And this tournament, in my opinion, like you aren't, in my opinion, you are not going to need to hit the ball 300 in the air uh, off the tee to win this tournament. It's going to play really hard. The fairways are pretty wide, so you have room to miss. And if this becomes a true second shot golf course, like look out for Denny McCarthy just pouring in putts from 30 feet, 25 feet, just ends up put out putting everybody in the field. Uh, so I, li- I like Denny McCarthy. And then this one I think is just a personal bias to my own Rainmakers collection, but uh, just gets in to the U.S. Open today, I believe. Adam Shank. Uh, he, I like these guys who have been really close, and I, I like them for the fact that Shank has been around, has played the PGA Tour uh, this year, continues to play more and more elevated events, and if anybody is going to freely swing away at the U.S. Open, it's the guy that gets in, on Monday because of, I can't even remember why he gets in, whether it was a withdrawal or something happened, but he and Michael Kim get in. Adam Shank just finishes a uh, second in a playoff to Emiliano Grillo a couple weeks ago. He knows he can play with some of the best players in the world. He goes out there. He swings freely. He shoots even par the first two couple, first two days. He shoots three or four under on Saturday. And all of a sudden he's, you know, in the mix uh, in terms of like, playing really well at the U S open. So I, I think it's, it's a little bit more of a quote unquote long shot, if you will, but I, I can talk myself into the narrative that sometimes golf is this mental game where you're grinding so much. And you know, if you got, if you guys are out there watching the PGA tour and you don't think that these guys are grinding, they are absolutely grinding week in and week out uh, to, to win these events, to get themselves uh, in position to play majors and uh, to get into a major on a Monday to show up, to be sort of mentally free, if you will, to have already potentially written it off. Uh, I, I like that, that narrative. So 
I'll talk myself into a little Adam Shank this week. I'll have an article that has my three picks at the top tier in the mid tier and the long shots uh, up on the site tomorrow. Look for that. Hang out in the discord. Those guys always like to uh, ask the questions of uh, in the odds buckets. Who do we like? Uh, what players are we thinking? And, and things like that. So jump on over into our discord and the, uh, the rainmakers PGA channel, but anything else we need to cover TJ before, as always on this show, we hold your feet to the fire for a winning pick. Anything else you want to cover for us open for, uh, you know, anything in golf, I guess, before we highlight the show that we are the additional show that people are going to get out of us this week. Now let's, let's jump right into the pick. I'm ready. Oh, he's ready. Give it to us. As always on Monday's show, TJ gives us his winner's pick. He's been a little cold uh, after an absolute hot streak. Two 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 weeks in a row uh, previous in the season, he picked the winner. Uh, I, I, by cold, I mean, you know, you haven't had a, a guy in a playoff. We're still picking solid guys on this show. But give us the 2023 U.S. Open champion. Yeah, it's a... A lot of guys you can go with here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ride a little little narrative street because with all the PGA tour and live stuff going on, I think there's one guy in particular that got extra screwed by all of this because he's been sticking his neck out for the PGA tour and dealing with a lot of BS and a lot of distractions. And I think it would just be epic when Royal Mac Rory McElroy comes out and is the twenty twenty three U.S. Open champion just throws it down all the haters' throats. So there we have it. Three top tens in a row. But this week, Rory does indeed get it done on Sunday. And he is your 2023 U.S. Open champion. Love to see it. As always, TJ finds a way that I possibly couldn't say anything else to close the show than Rory on the 18th green winning the U S open would be fantastic for golf would set the golf world ablaze. Again, you're going to hear mine and TJ's thoughts on all things golf, including some blitz fantasy golf, a product that we are super pumped to release to the people. We've got a contest for the U S open live on our site. We're going to go through all of that in more detail on another show this week. So stay tuned for that until then tomorrow, you'll get my rainmakers article highlights plays. I like in the long shot, the mid tier and the top tier odds. And then on Wednesday, I'll be back using our site otmnft.com to build my lineups for this week so look for that show on wednesday i might be in uh in tj's office for that show I'm not not exactly sure where that show will be coming to you live from but stay tuned for that until then i like to answer any listener questions on the wednesday show find me in the discord fire those questions in i'll go through all of them on the Wednesday show. And until Wednesday, get your lineups ready. Head on over to DraftKings, uh, the Rainmaker section. Check out your uh, position on the leaderboards in terms of the U.S. Open snapshot. Get your crafting tokens. Get the crafts done if you're interested in any of the other things out there for the big scramble. Get into that. I'll dive into all the details there on Wednesday. All right. Until then, I think that will do it for us. Rory, your 2023 U.S. Open champion. You heard it here from TJ first. Talk to you all on Wednesday, and that'll do it for this episode of the Rainmakers Fantasy Golf Show. We're out. Later. Later.